Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series titled His Story, Our Story. Rather than a series of unconnected events, the Bible is one story, it's the story, and it's also our story. Thanks for joining us. Well, I would like to uh, talk about the Chronicles of Narnia again. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. What an incredible story. Don't you love stories? So if you've never read it, and even if you have, Narnia is a place where it's always winter and never Christmas. Four kids there in England are playing hide-and-seek, and they find their way through the back of a wardrobe and find themselves in Narnia. And as they're there, they notice there's just snow everywhere. Does anybody else know why I'm probably telling this story right now? Aren't you glad we're almost done with that possibility, right? Anyway, it's always winter, never Christmas. And so, all of a sudden, some of the animals who can talk in Narnia begin to say, Aslan has landed. Aslan is on the move. And the kids all go, oh my goodness. And then, as they're uh, walking through Narnia, they begin to see there are patches of green that start to show. The snow is melting, and the people are realizing something's going on because, see, Narnia is under the spell of the white witch. This is the curse that she has brought. And so they begin to go, something's happening. And they say, who's Aslan? They eventually find out that he's the Christ figure in the story, the, the lion. But they also find out he's a king. And he has come to restore his kingdom to Narnia. Narnia used to belong to him. And so as the snow begins melting, they have to be careful of the white witch still. But they, the, the four children begin to ask questions. They go, who is Aslan? Is he safe? And Mr. and Mrs. Beaver say, of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And this incredible thing begins to happen. Now, I bring all this up because what I love about that story is that it parallels the story we're studying right now in the narrative overarching arc and story of the Bible. And that is, is that God created a glorious kingdom in which he meant for human beings to walk in the cool of the day with him and do meaningful work with him and be stewards of his kingdom with him. But then they chose to go their own way and there was the fall. And again, he spoke hope and promise into Abraham, later David, and throughout the whole story of Israel. And we see all the ups and downs. And today, we come to the incarnation. If you were God and you were about to restore your kingdom, how would you have done it? Well, we learn in his story how he did it. And we realize that if we'll learn that story better, it can influence the way we live our story. And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 1 as we come now to the New Testament in this part of the Bible. And if you're not used to your Bibles, it's about three-fourths of the way back. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you're using one of the black Bibles near you, and I invite you to do so, it's on page 860. And we're going to look today at the incarnation. And I don't know if you know what that means, but I'm going to explain more of what it means. And I hope that as we do, as we learn and retell this incredible story, that you'll see yourself in the story and you will find your story becoming more and more a part of his story. So uh, would you mind praying with me before we go any further? Lord, I just want to admit to you 
I'm a little off balance today. And I thank you that that doesn't have to stop us from learning together. But I just want to give myself to you and pray that you would now be our teacher and that as a result of you speaking to us and making the impressions upon us that you want to make, that your kingdom would advance a little more today right here on earth as it is in heaven. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so um, what we uh, see, the answer to the question of the how would you do it if you're restoring the kingdom is found in that first line of the message notes there if you're following along. God sends Jesus to restore his kingdom on earth. God sends Jesus to restore his kingdom on earth. What we're going to learn as we study this narrative arc of the Bible is that Jesus is a king. And he's come to bring his kingdom to this earth. But like we saw last week in Steve's message on return, it's a now and not yet reality. That means that it's begun, but it's not completed yet. That's why there's still snow. That's why it's not always Christmas. That's why there's only some green patches of grass instead of all grass. But as we live in this, what are we to understand? What has Jesus begun? What is he doing right now? What is he going to continue to do until it's all completed? So the incarnation, what does that mean? If you're following along, it means the mystery of God in a human body. The mystery of God in a human body. I, again, friends, I don't know how you um, like your chili, but if you ever order chili in some places, they'll say, how do you want it? And some places will say, do you want it chili con carne? And you go, absolutely. No, it just means with meat. And so when you say incarnation, what you mean is in meat, in flesh, in body. And so when we talk about incarnating something, we're talking about making sure it gets in a body. And uh, Jesus is God in a human body. This was... This is incredibly radical. Let me read what one scholar writes. What really set Christianity apart in the ancient world was the incarnation, the claim that the Most High God had himself entered into the realm of matter, material, taking on a physical body. In other religions, the highest deity would have nothing to do with the material world. By contrast, the Christian message is that the transcendent God has broken into history as a baby born in Bethlehem. The incarnation is genuinely physical, happening at a particular time and in a particular geographical location. And so as we think about this together, uh, I want to talk to you today about the incarnation. And here's the question that I really hope that as we consider the story of Jesus' incarnation, I want to answer this question primarily with the time we have, and it's that third line. Why is it so important that Jesus came in a human body? Why is it so important that Jesus came in a human body? Now, let me just tell you why I think this message is important for me and for you. We live in a world that minimizes the body, says it's less important, idolizes the body, makes it most important, or terrorizes bodies in ways that are concerning and show no respect for the body. And we live in a world that pretty much, even in Christianity, there are people that go, there's the sacred and there's the secular. Here's what they mean. The soul is important, but the body's less important. The gospel of Jesus does not believe that. This story of the incarnation teaches us that the body 
is as important as the soul. The body is as important as the heart. But what it's concerned about is integrating those back together. What happened in the fall is that all those things got separated. There was no integrity. Now all of a sudden, the body became separate from the soul. You'll hear people say today, I am not my body. That's interesting. You'll hear other people say, what I do with my body doesn't matter because it's less important. Friends, what Jesus has come to restore is people in all of their fullness. And he is just as concerned about your body as he is about your soul. And when we believe otherwise, we'll act otherwise. But when we catch the vision of what he intended, we will live differently. And Jesus did not think the body was a waste of time to dwell in. He came to show us that it was always something that was part of us to glorify and advance the kingdom of God. So here's what I want to do. I want to retell the story of Jesus coming in a body, and let's just see some of the things he did. And then I want to talk to you about what would it look like if you began to incarnate what God intended for you to incarnate with your body. So here we go, if you're following along. Notice that uh, in John chapter 1, let, let me read these first few verses. I'm going to invite you to read part of verse 14 in that first gray box when we get to it. So here it is. This is one of Jesus' disciples now trying to explain how Jesus came to earth and began to restore all things so that it wasn't always winter and never Christmas. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. In other words, before time even began, he was there. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Now, if you read the first part of John 1.14 with me out loud. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That phrase there literally means he pitched his tent among us. But it also is the word tabernacled. So the presence of God had been in a tent for the Israelite people in the wilderness, eventually in a temple. What it's saying is, is that now Jesus has come to be the presence of God here on earth, but the way he did it was in a human body. Amazing. And now look at the rest of verse 14, if you would. It says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, and then it says in verse 18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Jesus would eventually say to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. So now he comes in a human body and people are just going, this is mind-blowing. You just have to know that the Greek culture thought the body was a prison, the body was bad, the body was worthless, or at least less important, and they did not think that God would diminish himself to live in a body. But in fact, he did. And his name is Jesus. So if you're following along, here's some of the things we learn. First, born of a virgin, Jesus is fully God and fully human. Born of a virgin, Jesus is fully God and fully human. I list out to the right there in Luke chapter 1 how it says that Mary would learn that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and even though you're a virgin and have never been with a man, you will conceive a child 
who will be born of the Holy Spirit, but also from your womb, a virgin womb. It's just an amazing miracle. And again, it's just an awesome thing. And that's why Colossians 2.9, look at what it says. Uh, the Apostle Paul would describe Jesus this way in Colossians 2.9. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Circuit blowing. That's amazing. That's amazing. How do you pour all the ocean into a body like that? Just amazing. So we learn that. Second, notice this. Son of David, son of Abraham, he's God's Messiah. Son of David, son of Abraham, he's God's Messiah. If you read Matthew's gospel, the very first verse you'll read are those words that I just shared with you, which tells us that what Jesus did by being born in a human body is that now it was possible for him to send in his DNA and find out which countries he came from. You guys see those advertisements, right? In other words... He had a lineage. They could be traced all the way back. He was in the line of David. He was in the line of Abraham. His parents were in that same line. And because of that, he now could fulfill the promises that God made to David that you will always have a son who will sit on my throne. You will always have a descendant who will reign forever and his kingdom will never end. The promise made to Abraham, I will bless you and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. Jesus is the Messiah that people have been waiting for for years, and now he has arrived in a body. Son of David, son of Abraham, God's Messiah. Third, because he was born in a human body, that when he came, he was baptized, he was tempted, yet he doesn't sin. He was baptized, tempted, yet he doesn't sin. This is an amazing thing. In other words, now, at 30 years old, he comes and he says, baptize me to John. John goes, wait, baptism is for sinners that need to change their minds. He goes, I'm reversing things, so I'm going to be the first of a new people that will live a different way, and I want you to baptize me. I shared this back on the Sunday at the end of January when people were baptized that day. But have you ever thought about just how, kind of, if you think about it, it's kind of weird to think about baptism in a church building like this. I mean, if someone were watching, they would go, didn't these people get a shower at home or a bath? I mean, like, why are we making them all wet? And why did Jesus institute that? Why did he do that? I think as a way he was saying, look, life with me is physical. It involves all of you. And therefore, I want all of you to go under the water so that all of you belongs to all of me. Because that's what it looks like when the kingdom gets restored. And Jesus comes and says, I'm totally, totally yielded to God. Baptize every part of my body. It all belongs to him. And then when he is immediately taken in the wilderness to be tested or tempted by the devil, every time he is, instead of falling to the same temptations that Adam and Eve did, he triumphs. And he does it by remembering the word of God and giving himself fully to the will of God. And when he does that, he doesn't sin, even though he's tempted in the same powerful ways. In fact, maybe even more intensely than we are. And so as we think about that, maybe you've wondered, how does that help me today? You ever tempted? You ever tested? You ever find yourself feeling a battle in your soul to want your own way instead of God's? Jesus understands that. And Jesus can help you. Notice Hebrews 2, it, it talks about this. In chapter 2, it says, For this reason, 
He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. Temptation and being tested is painful. It's hard. It reveals our hearts. He is able to help those who are being tempted, like you and me. Look at Hebrews 4, 15. Uh, It says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. He obeyed God. He said, I want to do exactly what my Father wants me to do in every situation. I want to show that it's possible to live in a human body and obey God. And he showed us. And he put on a clinic of obedience. And then notice this, though a lot of times we think that righteousness is what we don't do. Righteousness is also what we do. If you're following along, Jesus befriends sinners, brings good news, and heals As part of him restoring the kingdom of God, what you see is that now when people start hearing about Jesus, the word starts spreading, it sounds almost like this. Jesus is on the move. Jesus has landed. Something's happening. The winter is melting. There is hope. Bodies are being restored. Minds and hearts are being turned back to God. Something's happening. And Jesus came on the scene, and all of the self-righteous religious people of his day, when they saw him befriending sinners, go, what are you doing? They didn't understand. He was turning things around. He was saying, I'm going to take people who just ruined their lives by sinning, and I'm going to teach them how to unsin and how to live righteously and give themselves back to the king. And when they did that, the people, they, they realized, some of these people thought, I thought I was beyond hope. And Jesus befriended me and gave me a vision of what my life could be like if I would just humbly give my life back to him. And all kinds of people far from God found hope in God because Jesus came to them in a body and looked at them and loved them and touched them and loved them in ways that they never got over. But he also declared good news. He said at the beginning of his ministry, I want to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. When it gets restored, you will be restored body, mind, and soul in ways that can serve me. And that will ultimately be the conclusion of things where it's perfectly done. But I am going to begin to restore things now. The snow is melting, friends. The grass is beginning to peek through. The kingdom is on the move. Jesus, incarnate, has arrived. And when we think about that, we often say, well, why did he heal bodies? Those people were just going to die later anyway. I think he was saying, I want to show you a picture of what it's like when a whole person gets restored. And again, we know that it's now and not yet, but he was saying, I want to serve notice that a new kingdom is here and something is going to change in the long run that'll change everything. Well, notice this, he suffers and dies on a cross to reverse sin's curse. I don't know if your imagination has spent much time, but uh, Jesus got tired. Jesus got thirsty. Jesus got hungry. The, The Gospels tell us all this. Why? Because even though he was fully God, he was fully human. That means that when you say, well, he just doesn't understand me, you're believing a lie. He does. And then he got 
hit, he bruised. If he got cut, he bled. If he got hated, he hurt. He knows what it's like to be human. He wore our flesh, and I will worship him forever for that. He came in a body. Now, we're going to talk more on Easter about how he suffered and died and rose again. So I won't spend a lot of time right now, but notice the next line is that he's resurrected, appears, and ascends in a body. He's resurrected, appears, and ascends in a body. And I know some of us go, man, I would like to be able to ascend in a body. I'd like to be able to, like, pull that off on death and sickness and disease. But Jesus did it. And Jesus, again, wasn't just uh, able to die for a few hours and then all of a sudden be resuscitated. He was resurrected. He was totally dead and came back three days later and he conquered death. He didn't just come back. He actually broke the power of death for every person that would put their trust in him. This is an amazing miracle. And then he appeared. And when he appeared, you can imagine, the disciples had no category for this. I mean, we often think the disciples were a little slow and I would have handled things differently. But I gotta be honest, if Jesus like showed up in my house after I'd watched him die on a cross and be put in a tomb and then he says, hey, I would like be scared. And I'd be confused. So notice how Jesus has to like explain to them, no, 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 I didn't just, I'm not a ghost, I'm a real person in a real body. I'm God, uh, Andy Stanley likes to say, I'm God in a bod. Okay, now look at this, Luke 24. Look at what it says. He's with the disciples after he's resurrected. He says, look at my hands, look at my feet. By the way, why the hands, why the feet? What do they do to the hands and the feet on the cross? Do you think those were gone in his resurrected body? The Bible tells us that even now at the right hand of God, those scars are still part of his glory because of what they accomplished for us in his body. Praise his name. The power of his wounds for us. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies. As you see that I do, they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He ate it as they watched. God in a body. I didn't think he liked bodies that much. He must want to do something with our bodies. Hmm. And so as we think about this, what I want you to see is that ultimately, here's the good news. Now by grace, his people embody his Holy Spirit. Now by grace, his people can embody his Holy Spirit. That's what it means. So that means, uh, so Jesus died when he ascended into heaven. What did he do? Did he ascend into heaven and say, I'll be waiting for you up here? No. Some people think the only reason Jesus died was to take us to heaven. Jesus died so we can live better and different on earth. Heaven is going to become, the earth is going to become a new earth. So this, he's, he's not, he's got a plan. So what does that mean? How do we live differently here on earth? He sends his Holy Spirit to now be deity in human flesh like yours and mine. And we go, um, that's a little bit mind-blowing because I'm flawed. Does anybody else know themselves well enough to know that you have contradictions and you got all kinds of ways of failing with talent? 
man, alive. I just think, again, we, and we, our bodies, in many ways, we feel weak, right? Because of the fall, our bodies are not all that they were originally meant to be. And so we just go, really? Come on. That's why Paul could say, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots, to show that the power belongs to God and not from us. So the miracle is the deity of God can now live inside human beings like you and me, and most of us don't believe it. We think he's out here or he's up there only, but he now wants to live in us. The same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus can live inside your body too. And that's what he wants to do. And why is he doing that? Because he's restoring the kingdom. See, Adam and Eve used to walk with him in the cool of the day. They used to have a relationship with him. But when they decided to go their own way and not go the way of the kingdom, then now all of a sudden it was thrown off. But Jesus realized, I want to change them from the inside out so that even their bodies can do my will as well. So here's the last line of this section. He came in a body to show us how to live in a body. He came in a body to show us how to live in a body. Now, by the way, you'll notice that I said he came in a body to show us. I could have said to show me, and it would have still been true, but it's both. He wants to show you how to live in a body right where you are. If you're in high school or you're in college, if you work at a certain job or you stay at home, if you live in this city or another city, wherever it is, he wants to show you how to live right here, right where you are, in a body, in a way that the kingdom of God is being restored right now. Not one day, now and then. And so as we think about that, what does he do? Why was that so important? So I've been thinking about what was his secret? Like, how did he approach life with his body? And this week, I've just been trying to meditate on some verses, and one of them, or two of them, are found in that second gray box. And so I want to ask you if you'd read it. The writer of Hebrews says, this is how Jesus thought when he came to earth in a body. Here's what he said. Would you read it with me? Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Now, here's what struck me. You prepared a body for me. I want to ask you if you believe that. I've been a pastor long enough to know, and just a regular human being long enough to know, that there's so many stories in this room. Some of you hate your body. Some of you are so disappointed in your body right now. Some of you are dealing with things in your body that are absolutely overwhelming. Some of you are hurting your bodies. Some of you are giving your bodies away in ways that are not honoring to God, that were never meant to be the purpose your body was being used. And some of you are learning new things about your body that are God's good news. I know there's a whole spectrum in this room. Do you believe that God prepared your body for a purpose? He did. Do you believe it? Because if you will, you could be on the road to a whole different way of approaching life. And notice that he says, you prepared a body for me. And then he says these incredible words, here I am. I have come to do your will, my God. That's how you and I will live when the the kingdom gets restored in us. (laughs) No one will have to hold a gun to our head. That's what we'll want. That's what we'll do. And so I want to just 
ask a few questions, and I want to bring this home so that by the time you walk to your car today, you might have more of an imagination for what it would look like if you, if we, began to incarnate the Spirit of Jesus and work with him. So here's the first question. Do I believe that God made and paid for my body to work with him? Do I believe that God made and paid for my body to work with him? Way back, way back, the very first message of creation, we declared that God made human beings, including their bodies. If you believe that you're the product of evolution or random chance, then your body is an accident and whatever you do with your body is up to you. If you believe that someone made you, then you have a responsibility and accountability to them to find out why they did and also what they had in mind. And then, of course, you have to decide whether you'll agree or disagree with it. But you at least have to come to terms with that. And so I love that little saying my parents had in their utility room, God don't make no junk. He made you. He made you exactly the way he wanted to because he, he has a plan for you. Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus paid for your body? This is how the Apostle Paul appealed to the Corinthians. We saw this last year. Don't you know that you have been bought with a price? Therefore, honor God with your bodies. He bought all of you, not to use you, but to live in you and to honor your life, his purpose. Powerful. Second question. Uh, By the way, uh, again, I'll just go back to the baptism thing. What was so moving to me a couple months ago when we had the baptisms is to see someone who's humble enough to lay back and say, God, I want you to have all of me, including every member of my body. I want it to go under and come out, yielded to you. You've prepared a body for me. I have come to do your will. Oh, my God. The second thing is, is do I see ways that my body can glorify God and edify others? Do I see ways my body can glorify God and edify others? I've told you this before. If you don't have a vision for something, you can't move towards it. Nothing becomes dynamic until it becomes specific. If you can't see a picture of how it might look, then it's really hard to move in that direction. So I'm asking, can you see ways that Jesus made you and paid for you so that you can be part of his kingdom now and that he wants to say, I want your body and all of you so that now you can have a higher purpose. You can glorify me and you can edify others. Some of you have taken the network class. You mind if I just ask, how many of you have taken the network class? Do you mind? Quite a few people. And by the way, it's being offered all the time. So if you want to know more about that, we've had probably uh, 900 to 1,000 people take the class since 1997. And again, our church is mobile and different people come and go. But I'm just saying is we, our whole goal is to help people. Why did God make you? What was the design he had for you? How can you use your whole life, including your body, to serve the living God instead of serve yourself? 
And as we learn that, we've, we, we learn very beginning, we ask this question, why serve? And then there's these two phrases that we try and embed in everybody. When I was teaching a class too, and Lee does the same thing, Steve, and others that have taught the class, we'd say, okay, we want you to think about this in your sleep. Why do you serve? And then we would say, to glorify God and edify others. You mind if we just practice that for a second? Like, why do we serve? To glorify God and edify others. And then going through most people's minds is, why did they use the word edify? Because I don't use that word (laughs) very much. So what does edify mean? If you edify someone, it means you build them up. You lift them up. You strengthen them. You put wind in their sails. You bless them as Abraham was promised to do. And therefore, when you and I glorify God and edify others, now, what would that look like? Like if you were to just get up each morning, if you're going to keep it simple, how do you do that? And over the years, one of the things that's helped me is three ideas. You can do it through a word, a look, or a touch. A word, a look, or a touch. If you study Jesus' ministry, he often edified others and glorified God with a word, a look, or a touch. When you think about how you speak, do you realize the power you have if the Holy Spirit's living in you to build someone up, to bless When I was a youth pastor, um, we had a no-cut-down rule. And one of the people in the youth group was just reminding me of that this last month. They said that if I caught someone in the youth group cutting another person in the youth group down, I would call them on the carpet. They loved when I said that phrase, call them on the carpet. It was like, I call you on the carpet. But the idea is, is because I wanted them to understand that's not how your mouth is best used to glorify God and edify others. I do it too. Let's unlearn that. Let's train in how to use our bodies differently. And so a word, man, I'll tell you, a person texted me this week and just with word, I was, I had more courage because I lose it sometimes to live the Christian life. Do you? And sometimes it's a look. I love when it says the rich young ruler who would eventually walk away from Jesus. I love how it says, I believe in Mark 10 or Luke, it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. How do you do that? Well, I'll just say this. You know it when someone looks at you and loves you. Doesn't want to use you. Isn't thinking about manipulating you. They look at you and they value you. They treasure you. This is something you and I can do. And this is what happens when the kingdom of God starts getting restored. And the last thing is a touch. Do you know how much the evil one is trying to ruin touch in our culture? Do you know how beautiful it is when the touch is loving, meaningful, and welcomed instead of pushed on someone? It's powerful. Uh, Before the first service this morning, I decided to shake hands with some people over in this section because my office is closer here, so I don't always get over here and it's trying to be intentional. And I didn't make it very far before all these different people in the uh, lobby, I was going to shake their hands and several of them said, I don't want a handshake, I want a hug. And so I hugged. And then some people go, is this the hugging line? And before I knew it, all of a sudden, a lot of hugging was going on. And I thought, and as as I hugged these people, I remember thinking, God, love this person through me. I don't know how it works. There was a time um, when I was 23 years old, I didn't, 22 years old, I didn't know I was going to be a pastor. I was so confused about my future. 
And I was sitting in a church up in Wheaton, Illinois one day, and we were taking communion. And in those days, the uh, uh, elders served communion by walking down the center aisle. And one of the men who had lost three children before the age of 18, he walks past my seat. And I, was, I just had my head bowed. He had no way of knowing my story. It was more like a brush, but he put his hand on my shoulder. And in that moment, I had courage again. Something healed in me that God was going to help me. Friends, a word, a look, a touch, an act of service, a prayer, you name it. You and I can use our bodies to serve. Now, let me say a couple things. My mother has been fighting fibromyalgia for 35 years. And she's heard all the things that she should know spiritually and all that. But she has had to figure out, what am I going to do with my body? Because it's limited. And even this last month, we were talking about, Jeff, I wish I could do more. But I said, Mom, what I love about you is that you're still saying, here's my body. I've come to do your will. And the way that you text people, call people, pray for people, you use your body. There's a lady in this church, former school teacher, had to retire early. She was told she was going to die 10 years ago from cancer from the doctors, and she's still alive. She wears oxygen. She told me this week in a voicemail that she, for years, has taken sack lunches down to the homeless people at Lincoln Library. And didn't have a lot of money, but she did what she could. And she told me this last week that she was leaving Lincoln Library, and she was able to give one of those people a ride and talk to them about Jesus. And she said, who knows, you may see him this Sunday at church. I thought, there's a person that's caught the vision that whatever body I have, I'm going to use it to serve you instead of myself. Powerful. Man, this snow's melting, friends. It melts every time that happens. The last thing is, grateful will I offer my body to him without reserve. Grateful will I offer my body to him without reserve. Can I just say this? Our culture... There's something about where we are in the history of our culture that is filled with reserve. When it comes to worshiping the Lord, there is this, I don't know about you feel this same drift, but I feel this. There's just times where I just feel like I don't necessarily want to give myself. So when it comes time to sing, there's a lot of people that are comfortable not singing even though they could use their mouth and their voice and their body to glorify God. When it comes to giving, it's always a temptation to go give the bare minimum. Anyway, when I was young, my parents taught me a phrase that I've never forgotten. It was, Jeff, give yourself to life. And I, when I was younger, I knew what they meant. They meant put your heart in it, whatever you do. You know what I'm learning now? That I want to put my heart in it and I want to put my body in it. Because it's not obedience until I embody it. It has to get into my body. It can't just stay up here. It's got to be both because the king has come to restore both to work together. So here's what I want to ask you if you'd be willing to do. Some of you know that we can actually use our bodies to demonstrate what we, where we're at. And if it would be useful to you, I want to invite you, if you'd be willing, right there in your seat, to just open your palms up on your lap. 
and just say, Lord, I need you to teach me about how my body is also part of me that you made and you want to use all of me, even my body. And so if that could be a posture of surrender and a place of starting a conversation where you physically do something to respond to God, I invite you to do it. He often did that. He'd say, sing to the Lord, clap your hands, raise your hands, open your palms to me, kneel before me, bow before me. He often invited his people to do physical things as a symbolization of what they were doing on the inside so that it was unified. Maybe it would help and maybe you're physically able to kneel. You may not be. But if you are and want to do that, you could do that. But in these next few moments, uh, what I want to ask you to do is think about what would it look like for you to offer your body Up on the screen, there'll be five different phrases of what it would look like if you gave him your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your hands, your feet. This week, I was talking with a buddy about this, and he said, when I was thinking about giving my body to God, I was fine until you mentioned mouth. And then I suddenly realized the way I use my mouth, oh, Lord, show me how to use my mouth to glorify and advance the kingdom of God in this world that needs so badly for the snow to melt and the green grass to come through. So would you just take time to have a conversation? Is there something you need to tell God you're sorry about? Is there something he wants to say to you about that? Do you need to just in your heart say, I've been seeing myself as separated. I've been minimizing my body or doing things to my body or with my body that are different than you made me to do. Show me how to see myself as unified for your purpose. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook. Facebook.